Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Beth Green, and your co-host, James Maynard. Today, I'll be interviewing Beth on the topic, Is Trump Just a Symbol of Our Desperate Need to Feel Wanted? Donald Trump needs to feel wanted. He changes his tune to please his audience, and he lashes out when he feels rejected. He is not alone. We all feel that need, and it drives us way more than we know. In an election, two people are desperate to get picked. If they win, they can feel like they are truly wanted. Plus, they now have the power to make people want them more. What will they do to be picked? What does the young girl do to get boys to like her? Try to make herself look sexy? Give up her self-respect? What does a man do to get his buddies to think he's a man? Torture recruits at a marine boot camp? Try to dominate women? What do business people do to feel wanted? Who are they willing to hurt to make their numbers and be praised? Or make enough money to please their mates? What do you do to yourself to feel wanted? How is the need to feel wanted impacting us and our society? Why do we feel so desperate to start with? Why don't we already feel secure? And finally, what can we do about it? And so now I'd like to turn it over to Beth, and she'll share with us about the latest interrevolutionary news. Beth? Hi, everybody. Well, it's really nice to be back. The last couple of weeks, the last two times, I wasn't on the show. And uh, if I'm sure you noticed. If you were listening, you might have noticed that I wasn't there. But what we're doing is this experiment with different people hosting on different weeks. And James and I are going to be your regular hosts for the first Thursday of the month. And then other shows are going to be hosted by Helen and Todd and other people. And you might be surprised to hear me being interviewed on different topics at different times. So today is James Maiden Voyage as the host interviewer. James? Yes. Tell yes, the indeed. folks how you feel. I feel a little nervous, a little anxious, <laughs> but I'm, I'm really anticipating uh, what's going to come out of this interview. <laughs> He's anticipating. Very bad mistake. You never, <laughs> you have no idea what I'm going to do at any time. So anyway, so we're talking about, you know, being wanted and feeling wanted and what we do to be wanted and how it hurts everybody. We're going to be talking about the political thing, too, as you can obviously see. But in the meantime, today I have a little news of the inner revolution. Uh, the inner revolution, for those of you who are new to our show, is about a shift of consciousness into oneness, you know, real compassion, caring about each other, getting that we are really one, accountability, which means like uh, you make a mess, you clean it up, uh, and uh, mutual support, which means we support the whole and the whole supports us. Well, those values are not always in the fore in our society or in any society, I have to admit, you know, where we have the ins and the outs and the people at hierarchy. And that's, you know, that's not the way we, and we're really not very accountable. You know, people like, I'm not going to mention who, you know, they just don't pay their bills, don't pay their uh, contractors, uh, go into bankruptcy, let everybody hold the bag, right? And mutual support, oh yeah, we are supposed to support the whole and the whole is supposed to support us, but let's not pay any taxes. Um, even though that is what supports the whole. In fact, I mean, we're seeing it right now. Hurricanes, right? We need a federal government, but oh no. See, I am going to be really watching out for number one, and I don't want to pay any taxes at all. The heck with it. I didn't drive down that road. So 
We don't need a federal government. Anyway, I seem to be editorializing already. But um, this is what we're trying to change. We're trying to change an attitude. We're not trying to be partisan, but we're trying to look at the attitudes that we have and why we have them. And we're going to identify with our political people because we are very much like them. But in the news of the inner revolution, well, we have some dismal news. And this is like the news that people need to know. Like, how do how are we going to save this world if we pay, don't pay attention to climate change? See, we are accountable for what we've done to the climate. But you would never know that climate change is an imminent threat to our survival if you listen to the political discourse of the day. But Bill McGibbon uh, who is the, the founder or the leader of 350.org, put out an article recently warning us, and it wasn't his stuff. I mean, he got it from some scientific study, that we have to stop now. The whole deal of no more drilling, no more new uh, oil fields, no more new pipelines, no more new coal mines, because if we don't actually cut back, we are... Toast. I mean, literally toast. Now, he's not the only one who's saying this, right? The Guardian reported that the planet is at its hottest in 115,000 years. Now, there are some people who don't want to be held accountable who are going to tell us that that has nothing to do with our behavior, but that is complete bogus nonsense. I don't care... If you think this is a conspiracy theory or not, just look at the science. It's really clear that there are greenhouse gases that keep the heat on the earth. And the scientists have been warning us and warning us, and we've been playing the fiddle and letting the planet burn. What can I say? And we are paying for it, which is, but unfortunately, a lot of times it's the poorest people who pay. Looming mega droughts in the western U.S. could make the current drought look minor. The current drought in California and the West. Can you believe it? If more isn't done to slow climate change by the end of the century, droughts lasting 35 years could blight western states, according to a recent scientific study. But we shouldn't listen to the scientists, right? (laughs) Even though they're clearly right, just look out the window. And we could radically cut the risk of mega drought by half only if we agreed to emission cuts far steeper than those agreed to by nations in Paris last year. So, I mean, we're having horrible weather, uh, you know, occasions. I mean, look at the terrible things that are happening on our East Coast in the Caribbean with these hurricanes. You know, you can't say, oh, this was caused by climate change or that was. But when you look at the overall patterns of freak storms and terrible uh, uh, droughts and uh, you know war and earth unexpected earthquakes that come from fracking and so on. We're doing it, guys. You know, no amount of denial is going to change that. So, one of the most important things that we are discussing in our world today is what are we going to do? How are we going to take the step of really cutting back way more than we are actually planning to do? And the Bill McGibbon article, he was talking about. We have to just, if we use up what we already have, all the wells we've already got going and all of that, we might skate by. And if we do one more thing, we're not skating. We're falling into the sinkhole. But hey, 
Why should we talk about that? Those are not important things. There are much more important things to talk about, like Hillary's email or Donald Trump's jaw. Okay, now, did I depress you? I'm going to give you a bittersweet story here. Polish women went on strike to stop an anti-abortion law that would have made abortion illegal, even in cases where the woman's life was in danger. This strike had a massive effect, and the parliament scrapped the legislation. So that sounds good, right? Hey, women went out there and they said, you know, we're doing this for our daughters and for our grandchildren. I mean, half the workforce wasn't there, right? We have power. However, what is the not-so-great news? Well, abortion in Poland is still left with it's being banned, except when the woman's life is in danger, the fetus is irreparably damaged, or the pregnancy results from rape or incest. The new proposal would actually just taken away all the accepts and it would create prison terms of up to five years for women seeking abortions and doctors who perform them. Now, I want to think about, you know, you to think about yourself. Supposing you had an unwanted pregnancy at 13 years old or whatever, you know, or at 47 years old or at 23 years old when you already are stressed. Let's say you could go to prison for five years by that. So thank God that was voted down. But it's, you know, there's no common sense in, in our thinking. Uh, we understand, we in particular, the inner revolution, we understand that a fetus represents life, but we need to be looking out for what is the highest good of all, not only the woman, the father, and the baby who's brought into a world where it may not be wanted. And in relation to that, here's a divine story that is human. Nadine Burke Harris, a pediatrician in San Francisco, is advocating for all children to be screened for traumatic experiences, which research shows have a long-term impact on health. We're talking physical health now. We're not just talking about how nuts we are. And by the way, traumatic experiences don't only happen in, uh, you know, financially deprived communities. They're all over the place. They're in whites and blacks and Latinos, traumatic events everywhere. Now, this is a fascinating story. This woman began tracking health outcomes and related them to stress, and she found that the correlation was strong. So she didn't just listen to the research. She looked at it. So she she began to regard her practice in a new way. She started evaluating children, not just for their medical histories, but also their social histories. And instead of treating only symptoms, she sought to help with the root causes of the stress that were making them sick. Now, bravo, that is in a revolutionary, right? She's really trying to turn the world upside down. And instead of treating symptoms, she's trying to get to the roots. And she screened all the children at her clinic for traumatic experience. And she built a new kind of medical center for those who screened positive. At the Center for Youth Wellness, which opened in 2011, children and their parents can see mental health workers, learn about mindfulness, which is kind of like a meditative thing, and other relaxation techniques, and meet with case managers who connect them with social services. Well... Common sense, you know, when you're compassionate and you're accountable and we're saying, okay, we have too much stress in our society, we need to be looking at how stressed we are, what kind of stress we're passing on to our children, how we are using alcohol or drugs or yelling or infidelities or whatever it is to deal with our emotions 
that impacts our kids' health. We have to be accountable, but being accountable means we have to start taking care of ourselves. We've got to start looking at the issues just like the one that we're talking about today. Of like, what is driving us? This unhappiness that we feel, you know, why don't we feel loved and a feeling of belonging? Why do we go crazy trying to jump over everybody, walk on people and make money and impress everybody, what is wrong with us and what can we do to start really loving ourselves? So there you go, James. That's the news of the inner revolution. And James, would you please announce our phone number in case anybody wants to call in after you, you get started? You read my started. mind. I was going to do I that did. first. I did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, if you'd like to call in with a question or a comment, please call us at one 866 Four seven two five seven eight eight. That's one eight sixty six four seventy two fifty seven eighty eight. Well, there's a study that's just been uh, run by a couple of different uh, psychologists, Lieberman and Eisenberg, doing separate studies with adults that showed that our brains deal with social pain in the same ways it deals with physical pain. In other words, we hurt when we feel rejected or not accepted. And we experience it in our brains the same way as physical pain. Humans tend to be social beings and we want to belong. So what is this need to be wanted and how does it come about? And that's the first question I'd like to ask you, Beth. Well, Could you tell us about all, that? I'd like to say that is a fabulous story because with this pediatrician is talking about how trauma uh, impacts your physical health. But emotional trauma also impacts our mental health a lot. So, okay, could you ask me that question again, James? I got off on my own tangent. Sure, sure. So, so what is this need to be wanted, and, and how does it come about? Well, you know, I, hmm, I think the first thing is, as human beings, we all have a need for safety. And we need to be taken care of. If you think about yourself as an infant then you'll see immediately that a little being, you know, has a need to be in a social environment because otherwise it's going to yap its head off and nobody's going to bring the, the, the breast or the bottle or anything or nobody's going to change your diaper. You've got to be in a social context to have your needs met, even from infancy. And so the need for belonging is extremely tied up with the need for safety. And so I don't know, honestly, because I'm not, you know, somebody who could give answers like this, how much of the emotional need to feel loved is, is related to safety. But we certainly just look at this. It's obvious that we need people who care about us or we're going to be in trouble. And, I mean, this goes through our lives forever. You know, you're, you're driving a car. You're an adult now. Hey, you've got it all together, right? And you break down on the freeway. And who's going to pick you up, you know, if you don't have a wife or a husband, a mate, a friend, uh, you know, so, uh, insurance or somebody. Somebody's go pick you up. Uh, otherwise, you're standing there on the freeway, you know, 15 miles from your job, and you're going to have pretty sore legs and probably be smashed by a car before you even get to work. So there is no time that we don't need each other. Everything that you're wearing today, as you're sitting listening to us, 
is was made by somebody, and likely it wasn't made by you. Maybe some of it was, but I don't think you grew the cotton even if you did make the, the outfit or did you make the thread? I mean, we all have for our survival, for our functioning, we need to be long. And then we see these sad people, you know, getting older and older and getting isolated, more and more isolated, like in nursing homes. And you don't have somebody doting on you every 10 minutes for your every need. And, you know, there you are. You're as helpless as an infant sometimes. But nobody's changing your diaper every 10 minutes. And, you know, you don't have, like, a mommy and daddy who are looking after you, if you ever did, you know, watching every need that you have, even though the food might taste like baby food. Anyway, so I am saying that it is really important to realize that being alone is scary, 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 scary. And we don't even admit how much we are driven by the need to belong and then there's the pain in the heart that's like oh my god nobody loves me but so i don't know if there is something beyond that but you know you see the puppies get together in a pile i believe personally that love is truly a human need that may even transcend safety and by the way james since you're the host you're keeping track we already have two callers. I see that. Um, By the way, that was a wonderful answer. I loved it. Oh, are you, you ready to oh, take the next? Are you ready to take the first call? I am. As okay, long as uh, there's Christine. No shotgun or automatic weapon attached to the caller. No <laughs> weapon. <laughs> Defenseless. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, a thought and also a question for you. But okay. the first was I can totally relate when you put it in these terms. I think, you know, just about everything I do once I'm out of my parents' house is to find out, well, who's the next person that can take care of my knees, whether it's a spouse <laughs> or a, um, you know, an employer, right? Yeah. And then yeah. just yeah. use the, you know, whatever strategies will endear me to them, whether it's working beyond my capacity Right? Or, um, you know, puffing up my smiling. husband and making him look good and smiling and trying to be attractive and right? um, make him look good. You know, it's just... Or, or scare the you-know-what out of him. Or totally, yeah. So that he won't leave, right? We exactly. Need that it doesn't, it doesn't really matter whatever works, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, I'm just saying I can, I can totally relate um, I've just been feeling lately that, and I, I saw this topic come up um, in, a, in a promo about this show, and just re- relating to Donald Trump, like, yeah, that's kind of just what's going on, you know, and yeah. not that I agree with pretty much anything that he's doing. I just don't have that, like, I don't know. I still feel like people are just, like, still in this impotent rage trying to bring him down Yeah, and um, seeing how impotent they are. Um, you know, like, um, you know, the newspapers in Dallas and Arizona, like for the first time ever, are not endorsing a Republican candidate and, you know, then expecting that to like really shift things. And then it doesn't, yes. right? Because Trump yeah. voters are like, whatever, like you think you're so powerful media, we don't care who you want to vote for, right? <laughs> right, right. And then right. the taxes come out, you know, and the New York Times has done all this work and it's been leaked and that's like, that's going to be the thing, right? And I think we're seeing how um, powerless we can be um, 
you know, in going and attacking something. But that, that wasn't my question. That was just an observation. Well, um, I'd like to get back to that. So, but yeah. why don't you go ahead with your question and then James, go try to remind me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wrap it all in. Okay. So then the question is like, and, and, and I'm trying to relate this to myself because I realize like I always need love, right? Just yeah, like Trump yeah. or anybody else. And I'm always going to yeah. go for it. But at some point I feel like I have a certain amount maybe. Like what would, why would someone go to the lengths I feel like that he's going? Like why is it never, ever, ever enough that you have to be president of the United States? Mm. Right. Well, why does somebody have to be the CEO of a company? Or why does somebody have to be the president of the chess club? Yeah. Or why does somebody have to be a cheerleader or a football star? Um, yeah. Why isn't it enough along the way? Why don't we? Well, I personally feel that people who are driven, driven, driven like that have been traumatized in some way and they may not even realize it. Mm. And this is such an important question because, you know, we started out with this. We all have a real need to have a sense of belonging. But supposing... Um, for example, you're, you had a father who um, made you feel like you were nothing unless you were the, you know, the president mm. of mm-hmm. Phi Beta Gaba Gooba or whatever mm-hmm. those you know, fraternities are or whatever. And, uh, and that was it. So in order to get your father's uh, a feeling of, you know, of love and, and being wanted by your father... Uh, you're going to do everything in order to win, 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 because winning is what's going to make your father happy with you. And mm. then you think you're going to belong. But the truth is that nothing will ever satisfy your father mm-hmm. because your father has been traumatized. Mm-hmm. And there's, right? And so your father, he may think that having his son or daughter, uh, you know, as the president is is really going to change his feeling state, but that's because he feels very insecure himself about being loved in the world. This is an example. I mean, that there could be many other traumas. I'm just giving one example, right? Yep. So yep. let's say your father uh, feels small because he was beaten as a child, right? And feels really incompetent and wants to feel powerful through his son or his mm-hmm. daughter. Right? So even if you are the president, he can go around bragging about you, but it isn't going to change the fact that he still doesn't feel like he belongs. You, right. you, can never, you can't heal that unless you heal it, mm-hmm. unless you identify where the real pain is, the originating pain, and then try to go in there and help the human being to heal and understand why I felt this pain. Why did my father seem never satisfied with me? Why did my father sexualize me? I'm just talking about the father now. It could have been the mother, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or it could be the babysitter or the older sister or brother or whatever, right? And so... When you get to that core, which is why I'm, I'm a counselor, I'm an intuitive counselor, because I, that's what I try to do is help people to get to that core. When you get to the core of the pain of when you first started feeling like you had to be on top in order for your father to want you, 
and you really come to understand it. And then you begin to look at the father. And then you understand that it's not like you sucking on a bottle. It's like you trying to get an emotion out of a stone. Mm-hmm. You know, out of someone who hasn't got it, who can't give it to you. And you go through all kinds of shenanigans to try to get that person to love you and want you. And it'll never happen because your father is taking cocaine <laughs> and isn't there, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so then, then you have to find a way to look at your life differently and say, okay, for example, and these are all just examples. Well, maybe my father will never give me that affirmation. But maybe my mother is available. Yeah, but I can't go to my mother because my father treats my mother badly too. Makes her feel like she's less than because she has to make him feel big. So I don't want to go to my mother because she doesn't count. And then you unravel and unravel and you unravel and you begin to realize that it isn't true that your mother doesn't count and that maybe you could have some value there or maybe there's some other place. That's what we have to do to nip this in the bud. But if we don't, it just perpetuates and perpetuates and perpetuates itself. And you see people out in public, they think they're running for office. They're actually running for, do you love me? Yeah. Am I popular? You mm-hmm. know, and I mean, and people think that they want power. And there's some there's some apparent truth to the wanting power. I want power, but what do I want power for? I want power so that I can protect myself so I don't care if nobody else loves me. Right, yeah. Right? So if I feel insecure in the world, I may need power. Or I may need power because if I have enough power, then I'm going to look desirable to other people. Oh, my God, I'm the captain of the football team. It doesn't matter that I've had five concussions and I'm heading to being a 27-year-old, uh, you know, dementia case or mm-hmm. that I'm going to have arthritis for the rest of my life. Oh, I'm getting all the kudos now and everybody loves me now, you know, and so we do this stuff. So we, we either go for power in order to protect ourselves, or we go for power because we know that other people admire power, mm-hmm. right? So it still comes back to the feeling of lack of safety, of not feeling wanted, needed, loved, really cared for. Yes, so Christine, do you feel that uh, Beth has answered your question? Completely. That was fantastic. <laughs> thank well, you. Thank Wonderful. you. Thank you, yeah. Christine. Thank you, Christine. Thanks for calling. Our next caller is Lizzie from San Diego. Lizzie, are you there? Yes. Hi, us? Beth and Jane. Hi, Hi. Lizzie. My call. Um, I didn't hear what the subject was, but I joined. Uh, I heard something about an article of the doctor who was uh, doing the testing, looking at the social aspect of children as well as their their yeah. physical health. Yeah. And um, you were talking about the emotional aspect affecting physical aspect, and I just want to say I so agree with that. I'm a physical therapist, and I noticed over the years as I was working with people that the emotional aspect definitely is connected, and I felt very strongly the need to acquire another tool to help that aspect with people because that part was not included in physical therapy school to deal with people's emotions. Yeah. And 
it is very encouraging to be addressing the emotional component along with the physical component because it helps people get better, uh, not just cover up, you know, not just the band-aids, but it really helps people heal from the core. Yeah. And I just can't stress that enough. And I just thank you for support and helping me do that as well. So, uh, Thank you, Lizzie. Well, I think the, the way that relates to the topic we're talking about is, you know, why we don't feel wanted and how that shows up in public life, which I really would like to get more into, maybe as because James has a lot more questions, about how when we don't feel wanted, the things that we do, you know, maybe we over-exercise, you know, mm-hmm. Lizzie, be, because we don't know what to do with our pain and so we put it into that discipline. Or maybe we over-exercise because we want to look... Like, uh, you know, we're some, you know, Olympic star, uh, you know, or we, maybe we start taking drugs because we can't handle. So we are destroying our bodies by not being able to address our feelings of loneliness and not feeling mm-hmm. wanted or you want to be on the team, you know, oh, mm-hmm. and now I'm on the sports team and I know that I'm on the gymnastics team or you know, I'm just talking about this because you're talking about being a physical therapist. Or I, I'm so distraught that I'm overeating. And uh, my God, my whole body is completely out of balance. So, yes, this feeling of aloneness, uh, it really impacts everything, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It sure does. And that's something that, you know, I'm dealing with, too. I just left a relationship. And so that's very acute for me right now. And, yes. you know, do you have any advice <laughs> on how to deal with that as a, as a human being and, and to try not to use these other vices Well, uh, Well, I, you know, it's, it's cute. You call them vices, and I understand why. But, you know, what we, we have to have a lot of compassion for ourselves. What we use is that we don't have any painkillers. You know, we're looking for a painkiller, and I think love is the answer. And uh, it will not take the pain away, but it will mitigate it. And I think that the more that you connect to your self-love and and your love of your life and the people around you, you know, ask for a hug uh, because Mm. that's what you're really missing anyway. So Mm -hmm. we have to go because I can see that we have yet another caller. And we haven't even let James ask a question. So, James, (laughs) thank (laughs) you. Okay, thank you, Lizzie. Thank you, Lizzie. Okay, our next caller is Helen, also from California. Helen, what would you like to ask about? Hi, thank you. Um, I want to ask how Trump's followers fall into this category. Yes. I think that, I'm very glad you asked me that question, because I think they do. I think that if you, for instance, they talk about it's not always the poorest who are going after Trump, but they're often people like white men who feel like they've had a certain way of life and that they're going to be losing what that they see that they're losing ground, you know, that white men are not running the world anymore. There's more people of color and different religions and women are coming up. And so suddenly men are, are losing that position of power. Well, is it really the power or does it or is it what comes with that so for example they feel that the world loves them now i'm going to speak about that for myself because i am a white woman and an elderly white woman i must say um and 
I remember very, very clearly when I was growing up that I felt how much better my life was going to be than that of black people or the Mexicans who were in the fields uh, as, you know, migrant laborers or whatever I saw when I read, you know, stuff about many of the nations of the world. And I felt so safe and privileged in comparison. And yes, of course, I, I felt concerned about other the well-being of other people, but I felt cared about by my society. And I then when I discovered that men were above me, which I didn't know growing up in my house, <laughs> I had to go out in the world to discover that men were above me. I started getting kind of angry because I realized that, you know, no, men were loved more than I was. Men were respected more. Men were treated better. Men were given more perks. Uh, they they got a pass, and I was furious. So I've been on both sides of that uh, power divide of being, um, at first being, you know, feeling like I had a privilege, even though I was Jewish, and that wasn't such a great thing in the 1940s, I can tell you that. <laughs> but still, you know, being a Jewish woman, I felt like, you know, I had some value in the world, and I and I had a belonging. And then I began to realize that, that anguish that I felt when I didn't have that anymore, that I wasn't going to be listened to, that I wasn't going to be heard, that I wasn't cared about. And I think that a lot of people in our nation have the feeling that they aren't cared about. And one of the problems that the Democrats have had is that it's been a long time since people really felt cared about by the Democratic Party. And... Um, you know, I think, you know, black people maybe have done better under Democrats than they have under certainly the Republican Party as it is today, but they don't feel particularly cared about. I mean, we wouldn't have a Black Lives Matters if they felt cared about, if they felt wanted, if they felt, do you understand, loved, like cherished, every child to feel cherished. If Mexican people in the United States felt cherished, you know, right. and, and, you know, and then as you have classes of people who used to feel like they were somebody, that they had value, stop having value. You know, if you live in much of rural America, because I live in rural America, you know, you see a lot of, of let's say there used to be, um, lumber mills here and the lumber industry and people felt like they had some value, right? And then they stopped. There was a decline in the lumber industry. And part of it is uh, is absolutely necessary of having some environmentalism instead of just clear cutting our forests. We need trees. There's such irresponsibility, but the people who worked in those industries at least had some value and felt cared about. And so it's an emotional thing as well as they had an income, they could take care of themselves. Because what I was talking about earlier is that if you don't have people who love you, you got to have money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or if the people who love you don't have any money, you know, that could be really, really devastating. So you have huge pockets of people who don't feel cared about, either because their lot is falling or because... They never have been valued. And so when Trump gets up there and he says, I care about you, you're my people, 
they hear that and they think, oh, here's a guy who cares about me. Now, you and I, and we all know, anybody who looks at the record knows that Trump doesn't care about you. Doesn't, you know, a guy who scams the system, doesn't pay taxes, couldn't care less, right? Uh, it starts things that and he goes into bankruptcy and, and, and so on. Uh, you know, he's not he's speaking about the way he treats people, you know, women and so on and so on. He doesn't care. So he's standing up there trying to be loved by saying any outrageous thing he can to whatever segment of the population he's talking to. So, you know, if men are feeling threatened because their value in society is going down and uh, he's going to make the Hillary uh, Clinton look like a wimp. And they, they are feeling emasculated by their wives, right? Because the wives are taking, you know, jobs and maybe often making more money than the men are. And so they love it. Put those women down. See, all this thing about political correctness is very fascinating because what co- political correctness really should be about is sensitivity to the pain of other people. And a sensitivity to the oppression, to the discrimination that has been suffered by so many. In fact, whoever you are, you probably, there's some place in your lineage that you haven't suffered from discrimination, whether you were Native American or um, you were born, you know, in Germany and came over as an immigrant or you had Irish parents or, You know, the uh, Ku Klux Klan was originally, you know, really anti-Catholic. I mean, they were going after the Catholics. You know, all of us, uh, or, you know, you're Chinese, we have all been, have suffered from the lack of care, the lack of respect for discrimination, which, of course, we're seeing today, you know, in spades with the Muslim community. So, whatever community Donald Trump has decided is going to be his constituency as all the people who have been going down and who want to feel empowered again and want to feel important to somebody and he makes them feel important and then Hillary Clinton is running around to the other people who have been really uh, oppressed discriminated against uh, and often you know lynched, beaten, uh, police brutality, just plain discrimination. You know, she's saying, I care about you. And so they're saying, okay, but does she really? Can we really trust her? And there is part of the problem. Some people do trust her, and some people say, this is pure electioneering. She's trying to get elected too. Why didn't you have this position four years ago, five years ago, do you really care about us or are you pulling this out because you want us to go vote for you? So the whole electoral process is full of candidates who are trying to be loved and validated, appealing to different segments of the population that are also dying to feel loved and validated. And what we never do is sit down with each other and say, I need to be loved and validated. Well, so do I. I need to feel belonging and safety, and so do I. And so what can we do to create and co-create a world where we all feel more loved, we all feel more validated, where we all feel wanted? Very good. Helen, do you feel that that answers your question? 
Yes, thank you so much, Beth. I I was thinking that, but you really helped nail it down, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Helen. Wonderful. James, do you have a question? Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, what is the cost to society, to oneself, this drive to feel wanted? Uh, and What does it cost us individually and societally with this drive to feel wanted, no matter uh, what? You know, that is a great question, James, because it costs us a tremendous amount. Let's say, you know, we've, I was giving a dis- description about a little kid who's going out to be the smartest kid or the fastest runner or the, you know, whatever. That kid is going to turn him or herself inside out. And there will be no balance in that person's life. You know, you may become too aggressive or too competitive uh, and that cuts you off from love because you aren't loving yourself when you're driving yourself and you aren't going to be receiving love when you're being competitive with everybody. The only people who are going to love you are your teammates if we win and even they, they hate you and love you. They want you to win for the team. But they may feel like you're better than they are, and they may not like that either. So all this stuff that kids go through with their parents, uh, wanting to earn the love, or, uh, or, or let's say a girl, usually it's a girl, but it could be a boy too, uh, who is being very nice and is trying to placate everybody and will never express herself because she wants to be wanted by her mother who wants her to be that way or by her dad or by an older brother or whatever. Or we let ourselves be molested. All of these things, it suffocates us. It doesn't allow us to develop our voice and our thinking. We, 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 we can't even think. Then we go and we have our peers, right? And we're going out and we're trying to get our peers to love us. And so what are we going to do? I mean, we're going to go toilet paper somebody's house. You know, now it's a lot worse than that. We may go into a gang because we want to be loved and wanted by a gang. And that may cost us our life. It may cost us a huge, long prison sentence. Or we want to feel like we have a sense of belonging and we're in with a bunch of kids who are taking smoking dopes. And then all of a sudden, there we are. We're ruining our brains. We may go to prison. Um, we, uh, we stop doing well in school. Uh, all of these things are, are things that happen every single day. And this, this results in a big cost to our society, doesn't it? Absolutely. Because as a society, we have to deal with the impact of drug addiction. We have to deal with the impact of gang warfare. We have to deal with the impact of male violence which is trying to show off to yourself and to others so that, you know, how powerful and virile you are. I mean, we're, it's one cost after another. But then in addition to that, here's other costs. What about the corporations, like this horrible Wells Fargo scandal, where they had these policies where people opened false accounts for, you know, the, the people who just were banking there. And they were doing it to compete, to make it look like they were doing well. You know, they were opening all these accounts, right? That they're doing that to get the praise of others. And look at the suffering of the people who are paying for that. Or what about the suffering of everyone and the animal kingdom because of the pollution 
of our water, of our earth, of our air that is caused by people who are not paying any attention to what impact we are having on the planet, but are looking for money, for prestige, for praise, for, oh my God, the board of directors loves me, or the, uh, what do you call, the stockholders love me, uh, or I finally have pleased my father because he's going to be proud of me because I am the CEO of Wells Fargo, or whatever it is. So, everybody who is drinking polluted water, I mean, look at Flint, it's two years later, they're still dealing with the water, they finally passed something in this Congress. Because the Congress was so busy trying to defund Planned Parenthood, they couldn't take care of our own people. You know, and these politicians who are supposed to be leading us, who are just trying to uh, appeal to our lowest level. You know, it's like I feel like I'm, you know, in a, uh, what do you call that when you're in a, a team in that back, you know, in the back room when they're slapping each other on the backs, uh, James, you should know the name of that, right? Um, you know, or in the locker room, or, it's uh, the, in know. the locker room. I feel sometimes when I look at the debate that we're in, in some kind of giant locker room. You know, oh, we're saying, yeah. "Hey, go, yeah, you're great." Yeah, and Bernie Sanders described it as like a food fight. <laughs> we're throwing stuff exactly, at each other. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. There is no conversation, hardly any conversation, honestly. There's hard, and I mean on either side. Yes, the Democrats are coming up with plans. I don't see any real conversations about those plans. You know, Trump has no plans. He only he only gives you what you want to hear that day. But you know, it's like, oh, okay. So now I have a smorgasbord of plans. But what is the overall um, thrust of the campaign, and is it being discussed? No. Because we have no time for serious conversation. We have no time to really address the fact that climate change is destroying the earth, destroying the earth, because we're too busy trying to be loved, trying to be praised, trying to be admired. And so I would like to ask you now, what are the solutions that we can uh, come up with? What can we do about it on an individual level as well as a social level? Uh, you've talked at the beginning of the show there here about um, the inner revolution having to do with oneness, accountability, and mutual support. Uh, how would that apply? To, would, would we find some remedies in that uh, as well as self-healing and transformation? What, what would you share with us about possible remedies on an individual and a social level? Well, that's a great question, too, because I really believe that we could create co-create a different world. But we are running out of time <laughs> We are running out of time. We're ruining our health. We're stressed out. Uh, and we are destroying our planet and the very infrastructure we live off of. And we have some major work to do. As you said, there's the individual healing. And I was talking about that earlier, you know, in terms of counseling to see what's going on with each one of us. The first thing in that term is to get honest. I mean, how important mm-hmm. is it to us to feel wanted? Oh, I have to, you know, play the trumpet and make the girls swoon. swoon. You know, I, right. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? There's a million different ways uh, that we, or I want to walk down the street with a good-looking woman so that the men 
you know, the, the, I'm going to have a, a, you know, a sense of belonging in the male uh, mafia there. Um, or I have to gossip mercilessly about my husband and be nasty to all boys because I want to please the female mafia. So there's a lot of self-awareness, self-awareness, self-honesty about how much are we driven. We keep pretending that we're rational. Can't we drop that already and get honest about that we are not rational? And, you know, um, it's sad. Uh, This whole thing came to my mind, and I'm going to get to the second question about the social aspect in a minute. Don't let me forget the political aspect. But, you know, this whole thing started as I saw a picture on the news of what was called the world's loneliest dog. And this dog had been in a... um, uh, one of those for a shelter for six years, and the dog had a sign that said, "Doesn't anybody want me?" or something like that. It made me cry. And so people went in, and they adopted the dog, and the dog became a star of some kind of a movie in England and whatever. Okay, that dog was adopted. There are other stories of sad dogs. I mean, why are dogs sad? Because they're lonely. Why are dogs vicious? Usually because they've been trained to be that way. You know, you stick an animal, a social animal, because I believe that we are by nature social. I was talking earlier about the fact that we have a safety factor, but I also think it's a nature. It's part of our nature. We are social, and so are dogs. And you take a dog and stick it in a parking lot with a fence. You know, they can't even see. They have no companionship, and they're going to be mean. You know, they're going to be crazy. It's like you take a person, put them into solitary confinement. What a stupid way to rehabilitate a human being is to take away the very thing that they need, which is to feel loved and to have a sense of belonging. When we feel loved and have a sense of belonging, we will not be so violent. We will feel cared about and we will have something inside us to care about others. And honestly, we the answers, oneness, accountability, and mutual support, there are the answers. But do we have the will, the political will, the awareness? Are we even willing to talk about it? Are we going to have a dinner time conversation tonight about why we need oneness? Oneness means not that we are all the same, but that we work together because we all recognize that we all have the same needs. And so this pediatrician that I was talking about in the beginning of the show, she was in oneness with her, with those kids. She wanted to know why, why are these kids sick? And they're sick for the same reason that we're sick. It's because we've been traumatized or we've been neglected. And there is a caring about one another that will create a whole different universe because if everyone felt cared about Donald Trump would not have the support that he has and God willing Donald Trump would be a different man himself he wouldn't need so much ego puff because he would have real connection real connection with people instead of walking around just you know insulting people or dominating people or exploiting people and thinking like, you know, that's puffing up his ego. And we have that piece of accountability that we are accountable for the impact of our behavior on other people. And that is just not, you know, being seen now. It's like you cannot cut the taxes of billionaires and think that poor people are going to prosper. We've tried that. It didn't work. We are accountable for the fact that 
there is vast income inequality in our nation, and that is causing a lot of emotional sickness of people being distressed, of being too close to not being able to survive. And then there's the mutual support, which is I support the whole and the whole supports me. That means a functioning, a really functioning society where we could count on one another, where if I went to the hospital, I would know that the people who were taking care of me were well-educated, that they had enough time to see what was going on with me, where they aren't going to make the mistakes that they're going to make when they're under stress, when they're feeling unloved and unwanted and used, when we, were, we would all feel our oneness. It is an amazing thing. Just try it. Go out today or tomorrow and go to the grocery store or go to the hospital or do whatever you're doing and act like you care about the people around you and relate to them and see how that changes the feeling of the world you live in. Yes, and while we're at it, why don't we spread our caring uh, for all of humanity and all of the planet and come together for the highest good to uh, really come together to fight for our survival and and to prevent uh, the global warming that could destroy us all. That's right. I totally agree with you, James. This is not a national issue. That is, this is a global issue. And why don't we care about the animals while we're at it? The vegetation, the plants, the animals, nature. That's what sustains us, guys. And we can't sicken others without sickening ourselves. But I think we should probably stop here uh, for you to start talk about what's coming up next week. Uh, just before I do so, uh, yeah. would you care to share with our listeners uh, your website? Because as I understand it, you have tools and processes and all sorts of support for people uh, oh, who yes. might be able to benefit. Yes, my website is theinnerrevolution.org. One word, the inner revolution, and that'll be I-N-N-E-R-R, right? dot org the inner org we have and there you can go anywhere there's we have a facebook page we've got a youtube channel we i have a free book uh that's uh, really about how we're going to transform human consciousness their answers are in this book living with reality and you can get it for free just get on the mailing list and uh and read that book and talk about it and people discuss it in groups uh this is really a, a very serious this, we, we have no more time to waste on nonsense and puffing up our egos if we don't start to look seriously at what ails us and try to really bring ourselves, each other, together, come together to change these things. There is Wonderful. no future. I agree with you. Thank you so much. Okay, now I'd like to talk about next week. Uh, next week's topic Men and women get real about our sexuality, what it is, what it isn't, and why, and what could it be? Isn't it time we begin to question what we believe is healthy sexuality? Can women get real about their use of pornography or fantasy and stop blaming men and acting innocent? Can we face together the destructive impact on all of us of pornography? Madison Avenue, media's image of female beauty and the need to be hot. Join us for a lively discussion as interrevolutionary men and women talk openly about their experiences, old beliefs, and their struggles to change and become conscious about their sexuality. Listen in as our guests discuss what they have done to themselves to try and gain power or security or love through sex. 
And find out the interrevolution.org's definition of healthy sexuality. Maybe it's time for you, too, to join this exploration. You are welcome to call in. And now for a final word. Beth? I, I think this sounds like a really exciting show. And Helen and Todd are going to be co-hosting, and they've done a great job. And isn't this really about what we're talking about? The desire to be wanted. Oh, my God. I didn't even start talking about the desire to be wanted by mates and through our sexuality. My God, how many things have we done to ourselves sexually and to our bodies in order to be wanted? My God, it's time for us to be conscious and to really love ourselves. It's a, the ego has had its say long enough. It's time for us to love our deeper selves. Thank you so much for interviewing me, James. Yes, it's been my pleasure. It's been my pleasure. And by the way, uh, as I was sharing that introduction, it, I was reminded that uh, at the website you, you mentioned, there are other supports as well. There's a men's support group. There's a couple's support. There are retreats. Uh, there are support calls. So I just wanted to mention that as well. Great. Okay, thank well, thank you. you so much, Beth. It's been a real pleasure interviewing you today. Well, and thank you. And it's been a pleasure being interviewed by you. And thank you to all our callers. Until the beginning <laughs> of next month, we'll see you at the first, uh, first show of the month. Wonderful. Okay, bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Interrevolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us. 